0: Welcome to the Broken Jars Broadcasting Network, home of the Dresden Files Podcast, 42 Entertainment, and many others. More podcasts like this one can be found at brokenjars.xyz.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Episode 7 of High Fantasy, and today our topic is prose, but we'll get to that after we do our, uh, what is it called, our show what we've done since the last time.
2: Uh, not as much as I would have liked, uh, probably only like 20 pages, which for a month, that's not very much. I hit this like major set piece I've been building towards and I'm having a hard time bridging into the next section of the book. I mean, it really does kind of end the first section of the book. So I'm having, it's slow going, getting, getting, going forward.
1: Yeah. I kind of, I reached an interesting milestone myself of like when I made the outline, there was always like this hole of not a whole lot of detail but that was very strategic, tactical based and I have no idea what to do there. I have written up to the point that I reached the hole and now I need to fill everything out and yeah, not a I whole thought. lot of words, but I, I did one day of 2400 words, and was like, oh, nice. that's awesome. I stopped. <laughs> So, yeah,
0: Colin? 332. <sighs> yeah, I kind of stopped for a little while after pushing myself for the month. So yeah, I...
1: and I have the excuse so I had to do a ton of podcasting work in the middle of that, but it's not really <laughs> an excuse anyway.
2: <laughs> hey, okay. and now you're working with me, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's been fun, but after a while, I'm going to stop typing, so I will have to split up the days between transcribing your stuff and doing my own writing. <laughs>
2: I just, I told, I told my wife about that. I said I feel bad for Alex. Like, Why? Because like, she's transcribing Corlex. <laughs> and she just laughed. She said, "Well, when your own wife wouldn't do it, she should have known it was bad."
1: <laughs> you had it never knew that Kelly wouldn't do it. And It's not that hard. <laughs> and now it's,
2: um, my handwriting's pretty bad, though.
1: <laughs> I've gotten used to it so far, which is <laughs> a interesting thing to say about my brain, I think, but. Let's, let's move on to prose. Okay. This is an episode that was really hard to figure out how to do, but I think we're going to be okay. We're going to talk about how to do some things well and what to look out for, and we have examples of things that were absolutely terrible. And I'm going to emphasize this is an adult podcast. We <laughs> say bad words, and we're going to talk about Fifty Shades of Grey for a little bit. So be warned. And then we're also going to talk about worse than Fifty Shades of Grey. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, what prose is, is basically the thing that holds everything else. It's just your words and your sentences and stuff. But it's what allows you to do everything else that's fun. Like characters and plot and timing and pacing and humor and suspension of disbelief in general. It's really important. But it's not the thing that people really focus on until you get to Rothfuss and stuff. So it's a weird thing to discuss.
0: It's one of those things when you're reading, you don't particularly want to notice unless and it's an exceptionally good example.
1: Yes. And if you notice and it's not good, then it's it will be something that breaks your enjoyment of the book. It's such a strange thing, and you depend so much on your beta readers for it that... Like if you don't have some readers, you really need some. If you're trying to get serious at the very least. And there's some like differences obviously in genre. Like if you're doing medieval fantasy, you're gonna use different word choices and probably different sentence styles than if you're doing contemporary urban fantasy or like futuristic sci-fi probably even. So all of the whole difference in genres are still there. Uh, One thing that is easy to talk about first is you need to change your sentence structure. Like, don't use always long sentences and don't use always choppy short ones. Having a different variety of them allows your reader to just kind of, like, flow through it and not focus on it too much.
2: Well, that and you can also use, like, sentence length to help get inside, like, a character's head. You know, if you have short, oh, choppy, fast sentences, it kind of gives us like, fast feeling to the story.
1: Yeah, and increase tension in various ways, Mm -hmm. but make sure it's doing what you want it to do.
2: Yeah.
0: Don't wax philosophically with long sentences in a tense, exciting scene.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And as an example of a run-on sentence, I have this sentence that was taken from TV Tropes talking about Bruce the book from The Inheritance Cycle by What's-His-Face. I don't remember his name. Um,
2: What's-His-Face? That's good enough for me.
1: Yeah. The sentence is, the branch Roran had added to the fire burst asunder with a muted pop as the corals underneath heated the gnarled length of wood to the point where a small cache of water or sap that had somehow evaded the rays of sun for untold decades exploded into steam. It's a very long sentence, and it's filled with a bunch of description you really don't need.
0: It's one sentence that tells you one thing in way too many words. Yes. Yes. It runs in a circle back to the point where the branch popped doesn't need to take that much time
1: you don't need to explain how long something was hidden inside the piece of wood because it doesn't matter you don't need to describe it could be sap or it could be water and it doesn't matter it truly doesn't it probably really doesn't how the description things and it just kind of sounds pretty but when it's useless it bogs down your story And then there's various things like the content of your sentences, like if you're messing with metaphors and similes and analogies and stuff, it's kind of risky. It could be awesome, but it can be really, really risky if you're doing it badly. Um, first off is things like if the metaphor is, there's too many of them, or if they're too complicated and you lose sight of what's actually happening so you're paying attention to the metaphor, or it's too comical for the situation, like it just doesn't match in any way. Um, and I'm going to go to a classic, <laughs> yes, Colin is going to be laughing at this. I'm going to read some from a classic example of really terrible prose that comes from the book or series called Bronwyn written by Ron Miller. I think it was published sometime in the seventies and it was genuinely published, not self-published. Um, not like self-publishing is not genuine, but someone decided to put money into this thing. Uh, okay. Describing this woman, as they're getting into like a, they're going to have a fun, sexy time scene, start with Bronwyn standing pale and tall in the nervous light that shimmered through the vibrating canopy of green leaves. Do you guys have any things about that sentence you want to call out first?
0: It's technically not a complete sentence.
1: Yeah, grammar is wrong. I don't know how night light. light? Yeah, how, how I, I read, read it again.
2: I, I was actually kind of spacing out. What, what? Sorry. Okay.
1: Bronwyn standing pale and tall in the nervous light that shimmered through the vibrating canopy of green leaves.
2: Two, well, one, there's way too many similar words: shivered, vibrate. All that all pretty much conveys the same shaking motion. So yeah, I guess everything's what... just shaking. It's like earthquake time. Woo! I think that it's not hard an earthquake. to
0: Say with nervous light is that like it's flickering because of the leaves, but, but it's an odd choice. Nervous
1: is an emotion. How can light have an emotion? And uh, if the canopy of green leaves that on itself could be fine, but vibrating, earthquake time. But that's not an earthquake.
0: It just. <laughs> mm. Oh god! This guy's from Boston. Oh, no. El- <laughs> South Boston, Virginia. Sorry. Oh. So, uh,
1: geographic oh, cool. pride saved. Um, okay.
0: uh, yeah. Just to depress us all. He has a lot of awards. Okay. I don't know why.
1: I think but, he's an illustrator, not yeah.
0: primarily a writer. 90, like early 90s.
1: I'm going to skip a lot of this excerpt and go to talking about her face. Her face had the fragrance of a gibbous moon, the scent of fresh snow. Her eyes were dark birds in fresh snow. They were the birds' shadows, they were mirrors, they were the legends on old charts. They were antique armor and the tears of dragons. Her brows were a raptor's sharp, anxious wings. They were a pair of scythes. Her ears were a puzzle carved in ivory. Her teeth were only, her her only bracelet. She carried them within a red velvet purse of her lips. Her tongue was amber, her tongue was a ferret an anemone a fox caught in the teeth of a tiger
2: this isn't real right you're just making shit up right now right no i i do particularly
0: like how he tries to build the metaphor off the one before it even if it doesn't make sense so he's got the snow then the birds with the snow and then the birds alone
1: (laughs) and then he talks about charts on maps and legends (laughs)
2: And you, too, can be a published author being this terrible.
1: Yeah. Oh, uh,
0: God. It gets worse.
2: See, I, I think that's um, something I've had to, like, remind myself is we don't, like, we, we try so hard to be really, really good, and we just don't have to be to get published. We just have to have enough people who like our shit. Yeah. <laughs> it just it like is 50 important of to end. have an audience.
1: <laughs> yes, and we are going to discuss it. And uh, <laughs> it'll be after we deal with the torture that is Bronwyn. Oh, my God. Um, you know, I, you know I, I mean, and
2: I'm guilty of this because one of my favorite books is Ready Player One. And there is some just absolute cringe worthy dialogue in that show. I mean, in that book, it is bad. Like, you're just sitting there going, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. But I, I still love it. I've, I've read it like five times at least.
1: Yeah, but I don't know what he means by her ears were a puzzle carved in ivory.
2: I think just like the
0: twisting is kind of puzzly. I I don't know. I'm trying to... Def- it,
2: it really just sounds like he wanted to use something being carved in ivory. He was like, yeah, puzzle. <laughs> Whatever.
1: I can think of so many other things other than puzzle that make more sense. Like This is the point that his metaphor has lost sight of what it's trying to do. And it just leaves me confused and annoyed.
0: Can I do point out that the bracelet within the velvet red purse is one of my favorite, most utterly ridiculous metaphors I've ever, ever heard. <laughs> it's just, I can't, I can't believe he came up with that, let alone it got published. I,
1: I think I'm, I'm really confused with her tongue was amber, her tongue was a ferret, an anemone of fox caught in the teeth of a tiger. How is her tongue Amber. Is it in color? Is it in texture? How How is it a ferret? Is it because she's moving it really fast and it's freaking out?
0: <laughs> is she just standing, like, standing naked in this
1: clearing? <laughs> <laughs> how is it an anemone? Does it have, like, a ton of tentacles that's like, moving in the water? And how the fuck is it a fox caught in a tiger teeth? Like is it also freaking out because it's dying?
2: Do y'all, do y'all ever watch Friends? I'm dying right now. Not really. Okay, well, there's there's an episode where Joey finds the, the source function in word. And this reminds me of that episode where he's just like finding, like, like every word he, he wrote this letter is like every word he like found the like biggest, most like important sounding word he could find and made completely no sense. Yeah, the sources
1: are awesome tools. I use one pretty frequently when I'm writing because I need another word for that thing I'm using too much. But you have to make sure you understand what the word is and what you're doing with it. Because I think this is mostly a problem with, like, teenagers in high school trying to be philosophical, and they're showing off their massive intellect and don't realize how terrible it actually is because they're using words they don't know.
0: He was about 40 minutes about this. Oh, my God. Can you read the legs one? Yes. Just for people who don't see this right now, if they don't click on anything or whatnot or look it up. It's two pages with paragraph after paragraph, each one focusing on a different aspect of her. And it just keeps going.
1: It's confusing. Um,
0: (sighs) Please do the legs one.
1: All right. A paragraph about her legs. Her legs were quills. They were bundles of wicker. They were candelabra. The muscles were summer lightning that flickered like a passing thought. They were captured eels or a cable on a windlass. Her thighs were geese, pythons, schooners. They were cypress or banyan. Her thighs were a forge. They were shears. Her thighs were sandstone. They were the sandstone buttresses of a cathedral. They were silk or cobwebs. Her calves were sweet with the sap of elders. Her feet were leached bone. Her feet were driftwood. Her feet were springs, marmosets, or locusts. Her toes were snails. They were snails with the (laughs) shells of
0: tears. (laughs) I don't know what his obsession with repetition is, too. Not only are these metaphors absolutely appalling, but he loves repeating things constantly.
1: Sandstone to sandstone Sandstone, buttresses. Yeah.
0: Fresh snow to fresh snow, like, also her thighs were a forge.
1: Her thighs were shears?
0: Is she, like, cutting things with the strength of her legs?
1: I mean, I think she makes a little sense, but. Like, there's been impressive uh, people, like, squeezing their thighs on a watermelon and making it burst, but I don't think she's doing that.
0: She is just standing there.
1: Yes. Now, presumably, (laughs) her tongue is flapping.
0: Her legs are constantly (laughs) glancing.
1: There is no uh, definite description of her moving, and yet he also starts describing her back. Her back is a snake. It is an anaconda. It is an anaconda's strength. And it's like, how are you it seeing this? Are you standing in a front of her? Hieroglyphic. Or what? Yes, forgotten hieroglyphic. It. Oh, God. Her buttocks were fresh baked loaves. They were ivory eggs. They wore were the eggs of the lonely phoenix. They were a fist. fist.
0: <laughs> Why is that a,
2: what? Alright, so I he I actually found the line from friends. So Monica asked it doesn't make any sense, and Joey is of course it does. I use a th- a source on every word? Yeah. It's like, okay, what was this sentence originally? Oh, they're warm, nice people with big hearts. And that became their humid, prepossessing Homo sapiens with full-size aortic pumps. And that's what this guy like, this guy's stuff seems like. He's like... I don't know. I mean, there is a level of creativity here
0: that surpasses anything I can ever think of. Not that it makes yeah. sense, but...
1: Yeah, I, I'd say that.
0: Um, he, he must have seen these comparisons. He must have understood... Somehow. What he meant.
1: How did he not have an editor... With a giant red marker just scratching through half of this. Because if he kept it to a fifth of what it is, it might be okay.
0: So, uh, in the next paragraph, he talks about her arms and he compares them to highways.
1: Yeah.
0: It's presumably a fantasy novel.
1: It is a fantasy, yes. High fantasy.
0: What the hell's a highway?
1: I mean, I can. <laughs> there's a. In Dragon Age high fantasy setting, they had a okay. highway that was left by the Tevinter Imperium based on Rome. So there was highways in medieval times True. based because of
0: Rome. It's a funny, but way.
1: still, it kind of it stands out because yeah. the modern conception versus medieval high fantasy. Um, I'm I'm going to go down to when he decides to talk about her nether region more because I cannot believe he wrote this.
0: <laughs> I can't believe he did it.
1: Prepare yourselves. Uh. Her pubes was a field of wheat after the harvest, a field neatly furrowed. It was a nest, a pomegranate, an arrowhead, a rune. He literally used the word pubes.
0: Seriously. (sighs) Seriously, he used it seriously. Seriously, seriously, seriously. Keep going, keep going.
1: It was a shadow. It was moss on a smooth white stone. There was an orchid within the moss. There was a drop of dew upon the orchid. It had the breath of moss beds of the deep seas, of the abyss, of scrimshaw and blue glass, of cold iron. She had the sex of rainforest, the ibis, and the scarab. She had the sex of mirrors and candles, of the hot, careful winds that stroke the veldt, the winds that taste of clay and seed and blood, the winds that dreamed of tawny, lean animals.
0: You are quite beautiful, Princess Bronwyn, Spike Nard sang.
1: With his sardonic grin and eyes as violet and hard as amethysts. The main character is actually named spike It's just about Bronwyn somehow. <laughs> spike Oh, my God. And the amethyst-colored eyes is also like, ooh, you're so special. No one's ever done purple eyes
0: before. But, did you know, he actually it did sing this, too? I don't know. I somehow doubt it.
1: Yeah. Maybe it's just a comment on how awesome his voice is. So, after all of this describing her vulva... I don't know what to take away from it.
0: Her navel winked like a doll's eye. Like the eye of a whale. Like the drowsy cat.
1: The eye of a whale? What? I don't know of any woman who wants to be compared to a whale.
0: Yeah, a lot of these comparisons don't necessarily come off as um, flattering.
1: Yeah. Uh, I have to go back to when he described her hair. Because I was so confused with this. Her hair had the sheen of the sea beneath an eclipsed moon. If it's an eclipsed moon, it doesn't give off light. How does it have a sheen?
0: So it's just... So is her hair black?
1: I don't know. I'm going to continue. It was the color of a leopard's tongue of oiled mahogany. It was terracotta bay and chestnut. Her hair was a helmet, a hood, the cowl of the monk, magician, or cobra. Considering he says mahogany, terracotta, bay, and chestnut. I'm assuming it's brown. But the sheen of it still confuses me because the metaphor doesn't make sense. And I really do not suggest talking about this woman you're wanting to have sex with that she's oh so beautiful. Don't compare her to a man that is celibate with a monk. Where? (laughs) Or a cobra.
2: Yeah, I I don't get it. I don't. Yeah, I don't Th- get
1: it this is yeah this, this is so much it's purple prose is what it's called because it's too overly flowery but there's also like you just get lost you have no idea what he's saying don't do this
0: her stomach was a beach a savanna, a flagstone warmed by the sun a cat asleep on the flagstone it continues but, so is her stomach the flagstone or the cat or both, both.
1: Her breasts were citrus, they were soapstone, they were bright cumulus and the smooth fingertips of musram. Her breasts were honeycombs and dew-beaded windows, or soft, sweet cheese. They were apples, they were glass, they were cowries. They were the twin moons of the earth. The nipples rose like mercury with her heat. They rose like monuments atop flowered hills above deserts of hot sands. The nipples were savory morals with the flavor of the forest.
0: So is she, like, aroused right now? Just, you know, <laughs> standing in the middle of this forest, presumably alone?
1: Well, no, because Spikenard is there, so she's not alone.
0: It's all well, they, point of view. I can't tell if he's spying. I don't... Obviously, no, I no, read this considering story. he
1: then says, oh, you're so beautiful, sure. and starts touching her face, she knows he's there. He she takes off her robe, and it's like, ooh, looky, I'm so pretty, but I...
0: So is he just like. Don't
1: compare boobs to cheese.
0: Like
2: disgusting,
0: actually.
1: <laughs>
2: that, I mean, yeah, that, 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 that's, that's a step too far. Like, no. Yeah. No woman ever wants to be compared to cheese.
1: Or a whale. Or what the fuck does a leopard's tongue look like?
2: <laughs> like, is that just a comparison?
0: That's one of the other things you need to do, be careful of, is using words. I know, you, I think you put this in the Trello card. Using either words or comparisons that most of your readers won't be familiar with
2: mm-hmm. don't compare like,
0: it to something the average person's not going to know what looks like
1: yeah like write to your reader and know what your reader will know like if you're, i'm writing for epic high fantasy that's really really heavy on the magic i'm going to write to that because i know people who want it go to it
0: to be fair right. he might have written this purely for himself and someone decided that's true shit that
1: is very for that's it. true and that is an honest way of writing i just don't know why someone put money into it but like as you're saying colin uh, they were bright cumulus and the smooth fingertips of musram. I don't know what musram is, so that falls even flatter than everything else. Um, I right. don't know.
0: Yeah, a book. A book wouldn't right. make that much would make sense.
1: sense. And and he used pubes.
2: <laughs> yeah, so it, it's also a really weird distinction because he goes high and low all the time. So he's like. Super flowery language, pubes. It, yes. You know, those it, don't go together. You, need, the, the tone is like, very inconsistent. And then he starts talking about her sex.
0: And it's like he's clearly trying to write around using anything other than her sex. But he'll still use pubes. Right.
1: Yeah, so don't want to use uh, vagina, vulva, pussy, cunt, twat. All of the things that he's going to uh, avoid, I'm going to say. Because it's fun.
0: Also, I can't tell, like, the age level he's trying to fight for. Me neither. Because he dances around some of that, but he's still talking about it. Like, it's no Game of Thrones where he'll say what he wants, but...
1: I mean, it seems that, like, people in charge of teenagers, like librarians, teachers, or parents, they're okay with some sex scenes as long as it's tasteful, but they will react far more violently to fuck words. Like, fuck shit damn, whatever. Like, they react to that much stronger, so it could still be like mid-team level and be fine. It's very strange. But um, I'm going to move on to Fifty Shades of Grey to talk about what I find is less painful and a little bit more on the annoying side of questionable. If you do not know, Fifty Shades of Grey, it is the porn. character... <laughs> it is porn. but The character Anastasia has an inner goddess, and that inner goddess does some weird gymnastic type shit. Like, I have not read the book. I just found sites talking about things, and I found some excerpts, and I'm pretty sure they're genuine. Some of them have been made up, and I think these ones are genuine. My inner goddess is panting. My inner goddess jumps up and down with the cheerleading pom-poms shouting yes at me. My inner goddess is beside herself, hopping from foot to foot. My inner goddess fist pumps the air above her chaise lounge. This is the kind of things that she does with it. And I guess she's trying to show the characters emotions with it. But I'm genuinely confused what emotion it is sometimes. Like uh, cheerleading pom pom shouting yes. Okay, that's pretty good. But my inner goddess is spinning around like a world-class ballerina, pirouette after pirouette. I don't know what emotion she's trying to show there.
2: I think it's just supposed to be like super excited. Super excited. You know.
1: That's not what I think of. I mean, excited, cheerleading pom poms that makes sense. But a world class ballerina doing her work and pirouetting is a fairly complicated thing to do. I don't get excited and so I think that it's kind of missing the actual emotion she's getting to.
0: Didn't but you know baller- didn't you know ballerinas just start pirouetting every time they get happy? Or just some- I mean,
1: if I could do that I might do it, but I can't. So <laughs> I assume that at that point they're just think of it as work.
0: Well, also, if she's so excited, why was her inner goddess sitting on a chaise lounge?
1: Yeah. My inner goddess is doing the merengue with some salsa. <laughs> my inner goddess is doing a triple-axle dismount off the uneven bars, and abruptly my mouth is dry. Because
0: you just if, ruined your whole mood with that comparison?
1: <laughs> I mean, if it's excitement in the way that the ballerina thing is, then the triple-axle dismount... That's awesome and exciting, but why is your mouth dry? That sounds more anxious.
0: Shouldn't you be, like, drooling in excitement or something? Or is she nervous, suddenly?
1: I don't know. (laughs) This is the thing. I mean, context would help, obviously, but this thing is really weird and hard to do. And she goes on, talking about her subconscious. I do not know if her subconscious and her inner goddess is the same entity, but She's got people in her brain, damn. <laughs>
0: um, so TV Chopes has the example here. Um, so what they point out is that she uses these very flowery metaphors of her inner goddess, and then just switches straight to crass sexual language. So the example here is, I flushed. My inner goddess is down on bended knee with her hands clasped in supplication, begging him. I like your kinky fuckery.
1: Yeah.
0: It just... It just <laughs> Those don't go side by side. I don't know. Yeah, they weren't side by side, but
1: so her her subconscious is a bit more um, unhappy with her. Usually, it seems. Try to be cool, Anna. My tortured subconscious begs on bended knee. It's like like my subconscious is figuratively cutting and glaring at me over her half moon specs.
0: So how many times does she mention her inner goddess in this?
1: I'm not really sure because I, I do not have the book.
0: It's limited, but it there's so many examples.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She
0: felt like Icarus flying too close to the sun.
1: Okay, that one. I that one could work because it, that one
2: actually does kind of make sense. It makes sense. Oh. It's just like you don't deserve that metaphor. I'm
1: gonna, i have that one saved over here so he's too gloriously good looking i have a vision of myself as icarus flying too close to the sun and crashing and burning as a result that's the line that could work i think that it should be executed word wise better but if she did it just once it would be fine but later
0: this is a different yeah
1: later she says in dialogue you beguile me christian completely overwhelm me i feel like icarus flying too close to the sun if you're going to do something that's that specific i recommend doing it only once It, and there's some other things I say just because it's they're a little cringy when putting them all together, like I must be the color of the communist manifesto
2: Black or
0: it was
1: supposed to be red, obviously, but
2: right, but I mean, I know in most printings the cover's actually black.
1: Be specific <laughs> uh, uh this one this one could be fine if she did it better. I am all gushing and breathy like a child, not a grown woman who can vote and drink legally in the state of Washington. If you left it as not a grown woman, which he is, and just like period right there and cut off everything else, it would be fine. But with it, it's just you don't need those words. Cut them out. They just bog everything down.
2: See, my my issue has always been getting enough words. I tend to be too brief. And so it's good to know people have the opposite problem. (laughs)
0: I
1: mean, there's definitely times is, you need to explain, you need to detail, but word oh that. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I
0: can't. His voice two pages talking about every little aspect of this woman's appearance.
1: Yeah. That <laughs> um. His voice is warm and husky, like dark car- melted caramel or something. That's literally what she says. Or dark something. Dark melted caramel. Dot dot dot. Or something.
2: I
0: think she's trying to be funny.
1: I don't know. Or I mean,
2: I mean, great. We don't know the full context, but I could, I could see that mental train. If if you're trying to get the mental train to be that she's confused and it's all flummoxed, you know, if that's sort of the idea, I could see having that or something. You know, to sort of give that idea that mentally she's having a hard time thinking.
1: Yeah, and yes, we don't know context. But it sounds to me like something you'd leave in like a first draft and you have to come back and specify later because you're trying to describe this very important character. You want it to be fairly clear as to how attractive he is, right?
0: Well, well and he's so attractive that she can't think straight.
2: Or or it, you, they're trying to... Maybe the description is supposed to be more every man kind of thing, so you, you keep it unspecific so the reader can... Lay overlay their their desires on top.
0: I think this was just straight up like absolute wish fulfillment of the pinnacle of attractive male whisking this girl off her feet. Yeah, so not and, something most people relate to.
1: Yeah, and and those things are very good points. Like if you're doing something like this, you want to have the reader self-insert themselves, leave uh, the point of view character kind of uh, vague. In terms of physicality, so they can just insert themselves, and they do this a lot in things like YA because the teenager wants to know what it is for themselves to be in that situation. But yes. they still generally leave the uh, attractive person as specifically very descriptively attractive,
2: right? And it's also it also happens a lot in video games where they leave mm-hmm. the, the you know the the faceless, voiceless player protagonist so that you can just overlay yourself on top of them
0: yeah. isn't that um one of the criticisms of twilight is that just a typical female teenager that every girl in america being it would relate to who well, then, she
1: has brown hair so only like half the population but.
0: <laughs> who then goes to have the worst possible relationship with a Vampire ever that taught everyone reading that horrible things about how to focus on. it. Yeah.
1: and Fifty Shades of Grey is the BDSM version of Twilight. That's how it got its audience. That's why.
0: Didn't she it write became... as fan fanfiction of it... Twilight first? Yes. Yes,
1: and she like she got a publishing deal, so she just changed a few names and did it, and she made a ton of money. It's the audience that yes. makes you successful, which is unfortunate. But <laughs> there are a few other things that uh, kind of. It was weird to me. Um, One, she talks about her medulla oblongata in automatic times. Like, and from a very tiny, underused part of my brain, probably located at the base of my medulla oblongata, near where my subconscious dwells, comes the thought, he's here to see you. I don't think you need to specify where in your brain your subconscious is.
0: Particularly since it's, you know, probably not where you think it is.
1: It's also probably not your brain stem. Well, right. but the, uh,
2: I mean, Again, it's one of those things where she just went too far. If she's left yeah. it, you know, in this underused part of my brain. Good. Yes. Yeah, that, that's fine. Yes.
1: Um, there's look. two other instances I found. My heartbeat has picked up. My medulla oblongata has neglected to fire any synapses to make me breathe. That would be okay if she didn't abuse it. And then later, supposedly, finally, my medulla oblongata recalls its purpose, I breathe. It's like, if she didn't abuse it's... it, I think it could work. And if she didn't do it with the subconscious, the whole passage of ma- mentioning it once, referring to back to it, could probably work.
0: It it does work. Like, the point is there and it's accurate. It's just, like, unnecessary to describe it that way. Yes. Okay.
1: And I, there is an example of this working, and that is Fight Club. They talk about Jack's rectal cancer that's going to kill him. They talk about Jack's medulla oblongata and his complete lack of surprise, and it works for them. And they don't like do it badly. So that is an example of this thing working,
0: because Fight Club gets away with a lot of things.
1: Yes, it does. I haven't if read the book. You do but, something
0: well, no matter what it is, you can get away with it.
1: And that's the the whole thing about writing is that all matters is how well you can execute it. We're just talking about the bad examples because they're easy. We're going to get to the good ones, but there's a few other things that she does in Fifty Shades of Grey that I have problems with prose-wise, kind of (laughs) intellectually-wise. This one's a little TMI, uh, so beware. He reached between my
0: legs. Say what? We've already talked about pubes, don't worry.
1: Well... (laughs) He reaches between my legs and pulls on the blue string, what, and gently takes my tampon out and tosses it into the nearby toilet. I don't have a problem with the description of the tampon. I have a problem that she has this hyphenated what exclamation in the middle of the sentence.
0: (laughs) Is that something you typically flush? Sometimes,
1: depending on your system. Fair enough. Like, it will... Fuck over a septic system, but uh, in like heavy cities, it might work, or if you're just willing to pay the bill.
2: I think we've Aren't gone on of Aren't you happy to now, have guy. a girl? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Yeah. I welcome what? the cool, refreshing rain. I close my eyes and take a deep breath, deep purifying breath, sorry, trying to recover what's left of my equilibrium. I think she's misusing the word equilibrium.
2: Wait, do it. say that again?
1: I close my eyes and take a deep, purifying breath, trying to recover what's left of my equilibrium.
2: I can see that. Uh, uh, that doesn't bother me. It is not bad. It seems to me to be okay. one of those things you
0: fight to reach, not something you cling to shreds. Like, if your equilibrium, equilibrium is in shreds, you don't have equilibrium anymore.
1: Yeah,
2: so that's why I think she's misusing it. Right. I don't know. I I, I actually kind of have to disagree on this one because I I've got motion sickness issues, especially after the whole concussion thing. And when I start getting really sick, I focus on the little bit of my you know sense, senses that isn't scrambled, and I focus on that to try and re try to sort of rebuild that equilibrium I've lost.
0: To be fair I think what loses it for me in that sentence is what's left of it. Like she can focus on what she's got and try to get her equilibrium again. You kind of can't really recover what's left of it. You kind of have to get it back.
2: Okay, yeah, I can agree with you there.
1: Yeah. I got two more things about Fifty Shades of Grey that are just weird instead of like Uh, They're they're weird. Um, One is a bit of dialogue. Does this mean you're going to make love to me tonight, Christian? Holy shit, did I just say that? His mouth drops open slightly, but he recovers quickly. No, Anastasia, it doesn't. Firstly, I don't make love. I fuck hard. It's a bad dialogue in this book.
0: If he's such like this domineering sex demon, why is he surprised (laughs) when she asks him about it?
2: Yeah,
1: and he's kind of surprised.
0: Like, why? Wouldn't he just be like... I don't
1: know. There's context we're missing, but I don't make love. I fuck hard.
0: Is it period? Is it fuck, period, hard, period?
1: I I fuck dot, 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 hard. Oh. (laughs) I don't know which one is better. If it's just a period or an ellipsis.
0: I think a period would have been better. I don't know. ellipsis tends to be trailing off. That's true. I think it
1: would have more impact if it was a period, but, you know, that that's at least that's part of the problems.
0: A, I mean, you could probably just take every page and try to salvage that book, but...
1: Yeah. Um, actually, if you go to Destructive Readers, I think it is, on uh, Reddit, it's a subreddit, about beta reading and critiquing and stuff, they did this thing of taking well-known fiction, or published things in general, and everyone gives their thoughts on it, and they did the first couple pages... Oh fifty shades of gray and that's the only actual bit I've ever really read and it was very interesting so I think it's destructive
0: yeah criticism destructive and readers.
1: readers readers okay cool
2: but this Last you know, thing. fifty shades is just proof that you don't have to be good to make a billion <laughs> dollars or you can they be amazing film. and no yeah. one will care
0: yeah and apparently you can be you can write a horribly shitty book that people love that somehow gets well, not somehow, but unsurprisingly, it gets made into a horribly shitty movie
2: that doesn't do well. It did pretty well. It did all right. For their budget, it did pretty well. What budget do they
0: need for that? <laughs> that wasn't where porn movies had high budgets. Well,
1: <laughs> cameras and lights are usually kind of important, and then they had these high-paying people. I don't know. I well, no,
2: well, actually, most of the people in the movie are like, were not overly... Highly paid because no one who would command a high salary would touch the movie. Now, I
0: did yeah. hear a rumor, and I can't uh, account for its truth, but apparently there was a porn studio who tried to make a parody of um, Fifty Shades, Shades of Grey. Grey. But typically, parodies are protected works. But there was nothing like it wasn't a parody because it was just straight-up porn and the books are already straight-up porn so they weren't <laughs> making a parody so they got shut down
2: have you have y'all you, have you seen the well, do y'all watch cinema sins on YouTube no no you should <laughs> and he, it's where he basically goes through a movie and sends it yeah so he's like so he will take clips from a movie and like start giving it sins and the one for 50 shades is hilarious all right it's totally that worth out. watching
1: I, I have one last line from uh, Fifty Shades, and then we'll move on to something nicer to cleanse our palate. Two orgasms coming apart at the seams, like the spin cycle on a washing machine. Wow, it's one sentence.
0: Is the wow like a separate dash? Wow,
1: it's a comma, like like the spin cycle on a washing machine, comma wow. Two orgasms, an ellipsis, coming apart at the seams. Please, I I feel like orgasms are insulted to being compared to laundry. <laughs>
0: Like, like that's just not sultry or anything It's
1: exactly it's well, just
2: like part of, of me's like wow you're getting surprised with two I mean who have you been dating that you're only getting two she's
1: supposed to be a virgin she didn't have an orgasm uh, until he whipped her into having one So he whipped her into having one I think so I think her first orgasm was he was whipping her clit with the thing I warned our listeners they better not be surprised but let's go (laughs) to something nice something that is genuinely nice to read it is the prologue for Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss he has a reputation for being really beautiful in his prose and that's part of the reason that it's taking so long for him to finish his series because he's making sure it's perfect and I have no idea how long he spent on Five paragraphs of this prologue but it is definitely worth it. I'll read the entire thing and then let's go back into it. So it's called A Silence of Three Parts. It was night again. The Waystone Inn lay in silence and it was a silence of three parts. The most obvious part was a hollow echoing quiet made by things that were lacking. If there had been a wind it would have sighed through the trees, set the inn sign creaking on its hooks, and brushed the silence down the road like trailing autumn leaves. If there had been a crowd, even a handful of men inside the inn, they would have filled the silence with conversation and laughter, the clatter and clamor one expects from a drinking house during the dark hours of night. If there had been music, but no, of course there was no music. In fact, there were none of these things, and so the silence remained. Inside the waystone, a pair of men huddled at one corner of the bar. They drank with quiet determination, avoiding serious discussions of troubling news. In doing this, they added a small, sullen silence to the larger, hollow one. It made an alloy of sorts, a counterpart. The third silence was not an easy thing to notice. If you listened for an hour, you might begin to feel it in the wooden floor underfoot and in the rough splintering barrels behind the bar. It was in the weight of the black stone hearth that held the heat of a long-dead fire. It was in the slow back-and-forth of a white linen cloth rubbing along the grain of the bar. And it was in the hands of the man who stood there, polishing a stretch of mahogany that already gleamed in the lamplight. The man had true red hair, red as flame. His eyes were dark and distant, and he moved with the subtle certainty that comes from knowing many things. The waystone was his, just as the third silence was his. This was appropriate, as it was the greatest silence of the three, wrapping the others inside itself. It was deep and wide as autumn's ending. It was heavy as a great, river-smooth stone. It was the patient, cut-flower sound of a man who was waiting to die. Eh.
2: (laughs) Kind of wordy, uh, but I mean... You do get a good, it has, I think it's supposed to be heavy, and it does feel heavy when you read it. You know, it feels, while you're while you're reading it, it almost feels like you're putting it on your back yourself.
1: I mean, it, this is as wordy as he is in the rest of the uh, book as well, because it's sticking to this kind of verboseness that makes the character Kvath, the man, that is true red hair. Um, and so, if, if you dislike this, don't read the book. That's half the point of a prologue <laughs> is showing you what you're getting into.
0: To be fair, but I don't think any, else, any other parts of the book hold to this level of prose.
1: I don't think they do, but there's a, a certain level that is kept in at least the word choice. But he goes heavy with this one, yeah. definitely.
0: Like, I've always thought this was over-the-top flowery, but at the same time, you just don't, care because it flows and it does what it wants to do and he does it well
1: yeah I mean the sentences are kind of long but they're not unwieldy they're not like a whole thing of water or sap trapped in a branch before it's popping it it sticks to what it's supposed to do and there isn't a single word in here that isn't doing its purpose
0: like I don't care about the sap exploding in a branch it doesn't matter this tells you everything you need to know about the story before it even starts
1: Mm-hmm. It's sullen, and this man is waiting to die. And I think in the the last paragraph, when they're describing this heavy third silence, it's uh, they it talks about it as being as wide as autumn's ending, which is a time of dying as everything is moving into winter. And then as a great river-smooth stone, which makes me think of endurance, and the patient-cut flower sound of a man who's waiting to die, just as a flower will die when you cut it. He sticks to the same theme, and he doesn't go too much.
0: I think my favorite silence is the second one. I like the phrase quiet, drank with quiet determination because that tells you so much more than just them drinking.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Basically cool. tells you their whole life story in three, in four words.
1: I like the idea that oh. the silences make an alloy. It shows the atmosphere in that way.
2: Mm, yeah, I can see that. Not a place i want to be. Yeah. So, so I, I don't know.
0: We're two books in and I'm still not where I think Quoth is supposed to be. It takes so long.
2: So, I, I decided to bring in what I think is maybe the best opening line of all time. Because it's short and sweet and it sets the mood for the entire book better than I've ever seen. And it's from fear and loathing in Las Vegas written by Hunter S Thompson. And it's, we were somewhere around Barstow on the edge of the desert when the drugs begin to take hold. Like it it,
1: does introduce you into the beginning of the trip.
2: Yeah. And it's just like, Oh, this is the kind of book it's going to be. It's going to be exactly what...
1: what opening lines should be doing. It's something that is a hook and tells you what's happening enough that you are centered and you can keep going. Right. And it's also
2: because it being a it's a one off, right? I mean this is this book just, you know, it's not part of a series or anything, so it's really good, that it just, just gets you right into it. Where like other books that are a series, you don't necessarily have to just like be an amazing start, you know, because people know what's going on already.
0: Yeah. Like it's it's a line that you don't need to know anything about the book. You don't even need to know the genre. It's just it tells you right away everything you need to know about the story.
2: Yeah. There's going to be lots of drugs, lots of oh. desert. It's <laughs> yeah, a crazy trip. <laughs> exactly. And it's a great book. If you haven't read it, I highly suggest reading it.
1: So what did you guys think of, the, like, if there had been music, but no, of course, there was no music. Like, there's, like, the narration is talking at you. Not really explicitly, but it is still, like, self-reflective.
2: Right. I mean, I liked it because he was like, of course there isn't. It's it's sort of this foregone conclusion and it helps the reader to get their mind around the things that should be foregone conclusions. So, of course there's no music. I mean, everything else I describe, why the fuck would there be music? You know? And what I like about it is just the fact that this is an inn. A
0: house of travel, a house of rest for people to stay at you would expect people drinking, talking, laughing, someone playing music. But just halfway through the first paragraph, you already know it's not that kind of place.
2: Yeah, so when he, he, he does a no good he does a good job of giving that desolate feel. Like no one wants to talk to you. You know, they just no one talks. It's just desolate and hard and v- vicious place to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, I also think he's flowery, and, and the sentences are kind of long. But he doesn't ever use a word I didn't already know. He's not trying to confuse me.
2: Right. He's he making it does, very
1: approachable that way.
0: He does break it up with some short sentences too. Mm-hmm. The paragraphs typically start short and sweet, as short as office ever gets.
1: <laughs> that is true. They're like seven words or so, which is fairly short for Rothfuss, and that tells you what the paragraph is about, and then he explains it more. I didn't notice that before. That's, like, a really good point. Like, what a prologue is doing is telling you what the rest of the story is about without telling you actually everything. And you could do the same thing with paragraphs, and I think you should. It's, like, kind of tell what it's about so anyone who's skimming it can just know that little bit and then get more d- deeper into it. At the very least for academic papers, I really emphasize that. <laughs> Not really the point of the podcast, but it's something I stuck to, and I think it did rather well. I also, I liked the, um, the fact that he's keep wiping down the bar and it's already gleaming, which gives a sense of hopelessness to his motions and his movements. Kind of shows what the, the character is doing and doing something that he's already done and
2: is, is redundant. See, I didn't get the hopeless feel. I got more of the feel of he has nothing better to do. Which but I mean, he's not, I, not relaxing. If right. Not hopelessness, at least, just
0: routine. He, like, there's nothing else to do except follow the routine. Yeah. There's, no paid, there's nobody there drinking, so no one's buying drinks. He doesn't have any work to do besides the two guys who are talking.
2: Yeah,
1: but they're not ordering things. He's not having to prepare things. They already have their drinks. He's just stuck, but he's not, not being active. And then as he moved with the subtle certainty that comes from knowing many things, it's a type of telling that he is very knowledgeable, but it also allows you to fill in the actual way he's moving and the mannerisms and the confidence it's a, an interesting way of using the show-not-tell and people's own natural feeling and tendencies.
2: Right, I, I agree. I mean, it's – and I think it's something I struggle with is letting people paint a picture instead of painting it for them. Because mm-hmm. so may, maybe I, like, don't always do the right thing when it comes to, like, word choice. Because, I, I know what I see in my head, and I want them to see that in their head. But I have to. I need to get to the point, especially with my pros, where it's okay if they don't see the same thing in their head, as long as they're seeing the overall story in their head.
1: Yeah, and as we we're kind of mentioning with attractive characters and YA and romance things, and if you let them fill in what this overwhelmingly attractive person looks like, it's going to be exactly what they're attracted to. But you still kind of want them to be a little bit more unique, like this person has dark hair, so it looks different than the person with light hair that's obviously fighting over the girl that is the reader.
0: Right. I mean mahogany chestnut hair.
1: With
0: thighs like a furnace.
1: Leopard (laughs) leopard tongue hair? I don't know what that looks like. Oh my god.
2: (laughs) Yes, let...
0: If you're going to describe someone, you don't need to literally make a canvas and paint it all the way through
1: but if you do make sure it makes sense (laughs) at the very least i'd rather a clear picture of a character than a befuddling one
0: i mean you can say someone has red hair and blue eyes and are very pretty yes that that works i don't need to know that her cheeks were lines of (laughs) 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 that's i accepted a darker tongue actually (laughs) yeah i
1: mean Okay, so Jacob shared a picture of a leopard's tongue and it's it's pink. It looks like a dog's tongue. It's just it's
0: It was the color color of hair tongue (laughs) of oiled mahogany. That's not the picture we're looking at here.
1: It's pink. And then he uses five words to describe brown. They're all different shades of brown. Which I okay, if she has multicolored hair and highlights or something, fine. Describe them as highlights.
0: His descriptions were so often like contradictory.
1: Yeah, I mean about hair. I mean, Quoth is supposed to have really, really bright red hair. Like
0: what is true red hair?
1: Yeah, so like red fire flame. hydrant red hair.
0: But flame, flame is not red. Flame
1: is not actually red, but it's always the like flame red hair or like fiery redhead. But, Which
0: I think of more as like, like is, an orange. Right,
2: yeah, well a lot of redheads red red red. actually, their hair Farible is more orange. orange
0: than So when red. he says True red? Is he talking about, like, actually red hair, like orange? I think so. Because most people's hair, or, red hair is usually orange. I think it's, like,
1: I mean, there are uh, the illustrations to go with it, and it's very, like, it's actually red-ish.
0: Really? Oh, i it had, orangey. Uh, it's oh, just, yeah, just no. um,
1: Yeah, it's red, but flame is not actually that red. Oh. Unless you put something in it, like firework stuff, but...
0: Yeah, I always thought that was, like, the most jarring portion of the intro.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've had that problem with all sorts of fantasy that they describe as flame red hair.
0: Knowing how much effort he put on every word, he meant something there. Uh,
1: Yeah, or maybe he just really likes the idea of flame being on this person who's really subdued, which I could see, but... I don't know it's something i've been puzzled about
0: king killer also suffers a little from the wish fulfillment
1: people argue about that way too much it, it's <laughs> something worth arguing about but like
0: <laughs> yeah king killer is a great forms. series so far i highly encourage people to read it there are many potential issues and arguments to be made on either side of in the story while still enjoying it
1: <laughs> yeah i mean uh, this character, he becomes, he's telling his own story to another person. So it suffers to this thing of, I was so awesome when I was a teenager.
0: Was I've he really? Abducted by a sex goddess for like a year and had sex all the time and then came out. Yay. Okay.
1: <laughs> I, I'm going to point out he, he was abducted by a fairy, Falurian, and he started having sex at this point, which was fun for him. It was about three months, it was not a year. And then he comes back and no time has passed and he starts sexing all of the girls around him. Fun for him. he's
0: so good at sex now.
1: Yes, and people like complain about this. And I have seen the phrase 50 shades of Fay" to describe it. <laughs> but I have to defend it because it was not as much as people say. It's not like taking over the entire book. It was like 20 pages. It was not 100. But like, people
0: can't really upset about that bit. Going to die if he didn't get out of there.
1: Yes, he was going to, like, live with her until he died, so he needed to find a way to get out. It was very weird, strange things, but people get annoyed with how, like, sexually awesome he is in the series, but it's also this wondering, like, how much of what he's telling is real versus, like, he's embellishing it because he's telling his own story. Right. And people fight about this forever.
0: (laughs) Stay away the books though
1: yes they're, they're worth reading um but unless we just go back to laughing about things that we've already discussed i think we've reached the end of this episode
2: yeah i would agree
0: but, yeah a lot of things not to do and a couple of examples of things to do
1: <laughs> yeah um we're, we'll have to come back to this later because this is a really complicated topic and we're gonna probably come back to every topic ever, but
2: um, right, yeah, it's one of those things we might need to like drill down on a very specific portion of this, like opening lines or whatever. Yeah, lines of chapter, and... mm-hmm. or
1: like titles and stuff. That's gonna be a great
0: right. conversation. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> never named a book properly.
2: But I, I think the most important thing that people need to take out of this is it's okay to suck. You might make make a bestseller <laughs> anyway, so do it anyway. Have fun.
0: Yeah. There's and So if many you're times suck, at least just know you're doing something bad, but you don't care because it's money
1: yeah, there's that, and there's also like a lot of people ask this questions like if I do this thing, will it still work? Will people buy my book? It's like, I don't know it depends on how well you do it because inner goddess versus Jack's rectal things. cancer like they're
0: both are very, are wildly successful, one That's is true. much
2: better than the other
0: so.
1: Do it, and that's the formula Will for not success. lie,
2: I would be perfectly happy having my name on the Twilight books or Fifty Shades of Grey if I got the money from it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, The shame right.
0: that comes from having published that would taste like money.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: and then you just can do other things under a pseudonym, and no one has to know except for your tax person. But <laughs> like, let's plug all of our other stuff. There's the Dresden Files podcast, which the next episode is going to be really interesting because we're having Jacob's brother on talking about religion.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: Uh-huh. I'm looking forward to it. Uh-huh. Uh, my older brother is a priest in the Episcopal Church and is also a huge Dresden Files fan, so uh, probably going to be bringing a lot of knowledge there, so just check it out. Uh, we have my podcast with Brian, which is 42, where we talk about everything and there, are, There is nothing sacred. Uh, we have Great Scott, which is my office podcast, which I do with Jay Ray. Uh, we are into, we just got into season three. So still uh, plenty of time to go. So you should come on over. Uh, you should check out our sponsor, Tiny Build. They make fantastic video games. And if you want a free video game, let me know. I have keys I can send you you know for fun so just yeah hit us up broken jars broadcasting at gmail.com yes please talk to us at broken jars pod on twitter i think is what it is i think so broken jars broadcasting on instagram uh yeah we're all over hit us up
1: we are high fantasy is high underscore fantasy at twitter i haven't been checking it very much but please talk to us it's it's awesome to talk with fans uh we also know we're out there we can see the downloads. Yeah, uh, we see. We still have Shylocks and Dangerous to Go Alone, which is I Alex's know. and then J. Ray's Nerdism culture thing. I'm not really sure.
2: Shylocks is kind of it. done at this point, from uh, what Twitter. I understand. For this podcast, yes. That's a, that's a, this is an off podcast. You can still
1: listen know. to the past episodes. We right. still have them up on the website. Um, and if you want some good six,
2: good nerd music, check out Super Nerd Sixer. I'm not updating it very regularly, but there's a lot of good nerdcore, nerd rock on there.
1: And Colin needs his own extra podcast to fit in, so but <laughs> that's not yet.
2: <laughs> All right, well, wherever y'all are, I mean, this is podcast. I hope you're having a good whatever morning, evening, night, whatever. Yes.
1: Thank you for listening. We love you. Bye. Bye. Thank oh. you.